If you have your Bible still open, you can certainly leave it open to Romans 6. And I just want to address a small portion of that before we go towards the water of baptism this morning to celebrate the baptism in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There are a number of questions that, as a pastor, I've received over the years, but there's one kind of question category I'd like to to start with as we begin this morning, Um, and it comes in different ways, and the church has grappled with it or uh, had to deal with it in different ways, but uh, sort of the broad question, I'll put it in two ways and then rephrase it to make it, uh, I think, make more sense. But, but kind of the first sort of level of question that sometimes people ask is, can I believe in Jesus and yet not do all those faith things that go with it? Uh, different ways to put that have come to me like, what about uh, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they're exiled to Babylon and they're asked to eat the food and assimilate to the culture and kind of part of that's a religious p- component as well. Can't they just believe what they believe as Jews from the old land, but do all the traditions and stuff in the new land, even if there are some religious overtones to it and that sort of thing. They could still believe, right? Or another way that it comes down to the church is after uh, the New Testament period when, um, when uh, the proclamation from the New Testament is Jesus is Lord. Well, there was a ruler, a Caesar that came to power that wanted to reestablish that Caesar is Lord and deified. And so he would have people make the yearly sacrifice to Caesar as Lord. And early Christians had to decide, well, is Jesus Lord or is Caesar Lord? And by making the sacrifice, can't they just believe that Jesus is Lord and just go through the motions and make the sacrifice that Caesar is Lord, but really believe Jesus is Lord? Let me rephrase the way that this comes around. Can I join the vegan cooking club and still bring bacon? Isn't that the same kind of idea? But that's the question. I don't mean to make light of the question. I mean, if you rephrase it, you kind of see that it doesn't make sense. It falls apart on itself. Another question or way that it just comes is sort of, I've accepted Jesus and believe I am saved. Can't I just go on doing my own thing? Let me put that in different terms as well. I quit smoking. Now I just light cigarettes, inhale, and exhale the smoke, but I'm a non-smoker. You get the point? They don't work together. They fall apart on themselves. With Jesus, you see, things are decidedly different when we are in Christ, when we're saved. Something will change within us by the power of God's Holy Spirit at work in us. If nothing changes, then the fruit tells us that we aren't really there. We haven't really been changed. We may be a better person, but we're not in Christ. And there's a distinction to be made there. And what's interesting is in in this passage of Scripture that we looked at this morning from Romans 6, Paul kind of makes this quick turn in his argument and brings in baptism almost out of nowhere. And I want to just point out before we dig into just two little parts of the text that baptism, uh, broadly speaking, does at least two things. It does many more, but it does at least two things. One, it recognizes God's power and grace. So this is the change component that comes to somebody who's in Jesus Christ. That is, it makes a new creation out of the individual. So what once was is not going to be the same because of the power and work of Jesus Christ 
in that person. They are actually a new creation. Even though it existed before, what Christ is doing is like it didn't exist in the first place. He's going to replace things and make them new. And secondly, within that, God's power and grace, it doesn't just make a new creation out of the individual, but it makes a new people out of the new creations. And so that's the second thing that baptism, two things that it at least does, it signals an allegiance with God's people. That I've been made new, I'm in that process of being made new, because of Jesus' work on the cross and now the power of the Holy Spirit working in me to make me new and renovate everything inside, to change it, and all the people that claim that same thing are my people by default, the church. Of course, God's doing something broader in the kingdom of God, renewing all of creation through that. But more narrowly, those who then have that recognize God's power and grace within them at work are part of the church by default. You can't not be part of the church if you're in Christ. They go hand in hand. The new creation goes with the new people. And so Romans 6, then, Paul talks about, a little bit more specifically, about what's going on in Christ. And so if we go to, uh, if you, we read, you know, the whole section, verses 1 through 4, I'm not going to read it all again, but, but Paul really just says, hey, we're baptized into Christ's death and raised to life. That's the long and short of what's going on. But then he goes on in verse 5, let's see that again. He says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. And I was reminded this week that uh, by uh, John Stott, the late John Stott, in one of his books, The Cross of Christ, he points out that one of the ongoing themes of early Christianity is victory. Over and over again. But I would suggest that if you look at the scope of Scripture, both Old and New Testament, and victory when God wins victory— it often looks less than victorious at first. Or like, why would you do it that way? And yet it is victorious. Israel is referred to as sheep all throughout the Old Testament. I mean, go to a high school football game and have the sheep versus the wolves, the bears, the cougars, the pumas, the panthers, right? Sheep don't seem very intimidating. They're prey, not predator. But all throughout, that's how God's going to let the world know who he is, by his sheep. Jesus carries on that theme, my sheep know my voice. Doesn't seem very victorious. Very powerful, even. God uses, we brought him up last week, Gideon. He says, you know what, I'm going to pare down your army so that it's smaller and smaller and smaller, and then the victory that you win is going to be obvious that it's from my power, not your power. And all the while, Gideon's like, can we have a few more people? Is it, really, you want it this small? That's how God's victory is going to be won. You can see uh, David against Goliath. Doesn't look like it's going to end up in victory. Picks the small guy, the little kid. You can see in the New Testament, who does Paul pick? Saul, the one persecuting his church, ends up being the primary church planter and person who helps make understandable for churches how to live out the faith the very one who is persecuting the church. And you can see the Messiah, Jesus Christ, being put on a Roman cross does not at first sight appear victorious, does it? But yet what we have to recognize is that that moment, particularly Jesus on the cross, was the victory of God being won. 
I'll quote John Stott because I think he puts it well. He says, we are not to regard the cross as defeat and the resurrection as victory. Rather, the cross was the victory won and the resurrection was the victory endorsed, proclaimed, and demonstrated. God defeated sin, death, and the devil by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And when Jesus comes back, then he's saying, and this is what my kingdom looks like. Are you in? This is what's going to happen now that death is out of the picture and now that injustice is going to go away and evil with it and sin. It's going to look like me, the resurrected Jesus. Are you in on this? If you go on, Paul continues on in verses 6 and 7. He says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. We are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we're saved by the power of God to become like Jesus Christ. That's the goal of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that that power of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is at work within us to transform us into the image of Christ and who Christ was. You see, Jesus died for us, a sacrificial death, to win our life. But if you consider that, if that's our leader and we are to follow If that's the character of our leader, what does that ask of us as his followers? Somebody who gives himself fully and completely on our behalf, sacrificial. Paul outlines what that looks like. We got to sacrifice what we most value to follow him. We've got to prioritize those things. It means death to self that we can live in Jesus Christ and be made in his image. And it's important to recognize that the resurrection itself wasn't metaphorical. That would be useless. It's physical. Jesus was physically brought back to life, and in that physically being brought back to life, God is saying, now, this is not only what I do to your spirit. Right now, we can have some of that. But to your physical life, I will redeem that too in this new creation And so we recognize, uh, to quote another scholar, Douglas Moo, he says, Christ has set us free not simply from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin. It no longer has a hold on us anymore in that way. One more passage I want to bring in. And I was in our staff meeting this week. We made it a point to say, Pastor Evan try and stay within your time frame. (laughs) So I am. I always do, but I am this week too. Philippians 3, 20 through 21. It'll come up on the screen. Paul writes, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will do what? Will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That's being free from the power of sin, not simply the penalty of sin. And I think we have to recognize 
and we'll hear it in the testimony this morning. I mean, full disclosure, this is my middle daughter being baptized today, and that's a joy to me. Uh, we'll recognize in the testimony that we'll hear in just a little bit that for some, the physical effect of sin is profound. That doesn't mean she did something to cause that. It means that sin has not just a spiritual effect, but a physical effect within the world that we live in. I don't think that's deniable. And for some, the effects of that are incredibly profound, but what the promise of God through Jesus Christ on the cross and the resurrection is that that even can be redeemed. There's not a human alive that can redeem that. We can do a lot of fixing and repairing and changing. But only God can truly redeem that which is physically and spiritually broken completely. That's what the power of the cross and the resurrection does. It frees us from the curse of sin, not simply the penalty of sin. And it doesn't just offer soul renewal, it offers body renewal. Complete and total new creation. That's the promise of Jesus Christ. And so when we go to the water of baptism, when Paul brings this up, baptism says no. It says no to the power and effect of sin, death, and the devil. It says no to decay and destruction. It says no to disease and injustice. It says those things will be gone in my new people, in my new kingdom. Yeah, we have to live with their effects for a while, but this says no. Those are not our future. Those are the past. It says, yes, the waters of baptism say yes to the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross at work in those who turn from sin, not simply the penalty, but also the power of sin, and live that new life as God's own new creation. Isn't that a great promise? They renew us. It doesn't save itself. It simply points to the one who does and the work of Christ on the cross. And so this morning, when we move to the waters of baptism, very shortly here, I want us to be able to have a mode of celebration of the no and the yes of the water. I want us to be able to remember your baptism if you've been baptized. If you haven't been baptized or you're thinking about it, to, to hear the words, the call and the promise of baptism, and to say, is that something that God is indeed calling me to next? I want you to, as we do the last song today, feel like you can walk up here and stick your hands in the water and feel it and remember your baptism. Or bring a kid up afterwards and say, do you remember your baptism? Maybe you were baptized as an infant. Great. Let's touch the water again and talk about what that means. Maybe you're thinking about baptism. Come and touch the water and say, what would this mean? Let's pray together as we prepare for this moment and prepare to, to step into the water. Lord, I'm grateful that you make us a new creation. And while on the one hand we lament and we're sad by the curse of sin and the power of sin still in this world and the injustice that comes with that and the decay and the destruction and the disease and all the things that we, can, that we have to grieve, God, because we have a part in those. But God, can we celebrate this morning the fact that you make all things new? You repair, you redeem, you reconcile that which is broken. And because of the power of the cross, because you raised your son Jesus Christ from the dead, nothing is impossible for you. And God, can we see that demonstrated within this body of Christ even today? 
that nothing is beyond the scope and power of your grace and power. That you are holy and you want that for us and that by your cleansing we can be made new. Lord, we commit ourselves to you today that we'd remember the waters of baptism and the call and the promise that comes with it. That that would be our story as well. Amen.